Good morning. It's my joy to introduce a, another new family today. Uh, ben, Emily, Selby, and their little one, Anna Lee. Do y'all mind standing where you are giving us a wave? We've got their uh, picture on the screen. I'll tell you a little bit about Ben and Emily. Um, ben and Emily both grew up in Henderson. Uh, both attended Fried Hardman. Ben's a little bit older, so they did not meet there. They actually met on a mission trip to Haiti. And he told me he was introduced to her by her father. I thought, well, that's a good way to start things out. Uh, he also, and you may know this, he's the grandson of uh, Mary Frances Hancock, and he said he's been attending this church for years and years and years, coming to see his grandma and his late grandfather, Ben Hancock, and so we're, we're glad for that. Emily is a social worker for Murray County, working for high-risk families. Uh, ben is a nurse. Um, he works for Arivac Flight and Murray Regional in their emergency department. Uh, they were married in 2016. Annalee is three, and they've got a little boy coming in May. So introduce yourself to them, get to know them, and help them to feel at home very, very quickly. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to uh, keep visiting with us. And when you want to know more, just check that on the attendance sheet and uh, meet with a couple of our elders, and they'll share with you whatever you'd like to know about this church. And you can share about your faith journey, and we'd love for this to be your church home as well. We're in Joshua chapter 6. If you want to open your Bibles there, you can follow along. There's an outline on the back of the bulletin. Uh, I put on the screen Joshua 1.9. You know the statement. It's what we remember from the book of Joshua, where God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Uh, it occurs more than once. In fact, later in that same chapter, the people of Israel say that to Joshua. I mean, it's so much a theme of the book, be strong and courageous. What great advice. But how? How do you do that? We want to be strong. We want to be courageous. But how do you do that? Well, Joshua chapter 6 gives some very practical insights on how to be strong and courageous. I want us to understand a little bit about what's going on here. Joshua's strategy of taking the land of Canaan really was brilliant. Now, if you just casually read through the book of Joshua, you might miss it. But Canaan has, if you recall, the Mediterranean coast on the west. It has the Jordan on the east. But the middle of the country is the high country. That's the hill country. And through that middle of the country is a major north-south uh, thoroughfare that connected the nation together, or that area together. So Joshua's strategy was to drive a wedge from the east over to that middle country and, and, and overtake that road and really divide the land of Canaan to obviously keep the kings from formulating together to combat the children of Israel. And Joshua chapter 6 through 11 kind of walks you through these details. But to do this, they must take Jericho. Jericho must be taken first. It was positioned right there where the people would come in to uh, kind of fortify that city. So it would be like a fort. It would be the, the, the first city you would come to. They were there actually to keep anyone, any intruders at bay. So he had to take the city of Jericho to take the land. But how do you do that when Jericho was built to be just that, that fortified city? According to archaeologists, it had massive defenses. And so how do, you, how do you do that when you've got this walled city in front of you that must be taken first? Well, in Joshua chapter 6, 
It's basically the people of God versus the city of Jericho. So let's begin by reading how the chapter opens. Joshua 6, look at verses 1 through 7. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So the Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, let the seventh priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. I want us to begin by just grasping the reality of the situation here. Even if you don't know much about the book of Joshua, you know this story about the city of Jericho and the walls falling. Jericho was a major city, a wealthy city. It was a fortified city. When you read about historians, they say that it was built to be just that, to be that first defense. Now, the archaeologists will tell us not only was, did it have massive defenses, it talked about the wall. And that's what we remember about the city of Jericho was the wall. Let me, let me share how one archaeologist described it. It's tell. You're familiar with that word tell? Uh, in Old Testament archaeology, Tell would be a mound where a city would dwell and then, and then another city would on top of it and then on top of it. And so you had this mound because of the multiple cities that were in that place. So its tail, the mound composed of remains of successive settlements, was surrounded by an earthen embankment stabilized by a 15-foot stone wall. Atop this retaining wall, above this 15-foot stone wall, stood a freestanding mud wall about 6 foot thick and about 18 to 24 feet high. So if you're doing the math, you're looking at between 33 and 39 feet high total. That's a tall wall. Give you a point of reference, I, I measured this front wall from the carpet all the way to the ceiling not even 25 feet. So 33 to 39 feet. So just imagine that's quite a wall, especially for the children of Israel. Remember, they're not trained soldiers. They're nomads. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, yes, they had battled Sihon and Og, and they defeated them, but that was not defeating a, a walled city. That was open warfare out in the desert. Totally different strategy there. Israel had never taken a fortified city before. Plus, they didn't have the kind of weapons that you would come at with this kind of warfare. They had no, no battering rams, no catapults, no ladders, no ramps. The four essentials for this kind of warfare, they had none of them. One author described the army of Israel like this. It would be like a bunch of guys standing around in flip-flops, baggy t-shirts, with baseball caps turned backwards. 
not a sight to evoke fear to the enemy or strength to each other. They were facing an impossible task. And yet that is exactly the point God is making. Now, this story can help us when we hit a wall. And we use that wording, don't we? I hit a wall. We talk about that in athletics, like when you're running. We talk about that when you've got a project at work, when you hit a wall. Even sometimes spiritually, we can hit a wall. The great apostle Paul talked about that. If you never read Romans chapter 7, write that in your notes. Go back and read Romans chapter 7 where he talks about, I know what is right and yet I don't do what is right. And it's amazing. He talks about that inner struggle that we all have, we all face. But then also read Romans chapter 8 because it's such a wonderful follow-up to Romans chapter 7. But what do you do when you hit a wall? What do you do when this, there is an unsurmountable wall that cannot get past? Well, Joshua chapter 6 offers three insights to help us even today. Here's the first one, if you're filling the blank. Realize the enemy is on the defensive. Realize, understand, see that the enemy is on the defensive. Even more than we realize. Even though Jericho was a fortified walled city, and they had so much going for them, they were terrified. Joshua chapter 6, 1, the chapter opens. Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. No one went out. None came in. You might remember what we read about how scared they were. Joshua 5, chapter 1. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them. Remember Rahab said the same thing in Joshua chapter 2. So they're scared and they continue to be scared. So it was clear to the people in this pagan land that the, the Israelites, God's people, are coming at them. And the supernatural powers of God are working for them. So rightfully so, they're scared. So here's the point. Behind those imposing walls was an enemy crouching in fear. Behind that incredible wall was the enemy who knew they had lost. It was just a matter of time. Do you see the spiritual parallel there at all? I mean, Satan is so successful at putting up walls, and it looks like there's no way, but really he is just an enemy who's been defeated. Who knows it's only a matter of time until he goes down. So today, on those days when the walls seem so imposing, seem so overwhelming, we need to think about this. Remember the words of our Lord. Remember when, when Jesus asked his disciples, what's the talk? What's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, do you remember how Jesus responded to him? Look on the screen, Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that very confession that Jesus being the Son of God, Jesus was going to build his church. And he explains it in such a way that gives you the posture, the positioning. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now we understand gates are not offensive. Gates are defensive. So Jesus explains the church here is moving forward. 
And even the gates of hell are not going to stop it. That's the imagery. That's the picture that Jesus describes. So we should remember then the forces of hell are on the defensive even now, even more than we realize. Behind those 30-some-odd-foot walls was an enemy crouching in fear. Behind every wall we face is Satan who's just posing. He knows he's lost, but he's going to do everything he can to keep you from moving forward. Now, this may be oversimplified, but do you remember the curtain scene in The Wizard of Oz? If you've not seen The Wizard of Oz, I'm about to spoil it for you. But you've had a little while to, to see it, so I'm hoping you kind of know. Uh, but look on the screen at this picture. You remember they, they finally get there, and there's this very imposing head with this booming voice and these, these puffs of flames on either side. And Dorothy and all her friends are just scared. They're just scared. They don't know what to do until... Go to the next slide. They pull the curtain back. You remember the scene? And you think, that is so silly. It is all such, it's, it's just, it's all, none of it's real. None of it's real. He's just faking it. Is that not exactly what is happening spiritually? The Satan can put a wall up and, and it, just, it just sounds scary. It sounds un, like there's no way. And really behind that curtain is a defeated enemy who knows his days are numbered. That leads us to the second insight. Number two, you've got to look at the wall through God's lenses. Look at the wall through God's lenses. If you go back to the text, Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, I want to encourage you, if you're the kind of like to mark in your Bible so you'll remember what you need to see, circle two words. See, I. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. Circle, see, I. See just means that. Observe, perceive, look to God. Look what God is doing. The Lord is telling Joshua, you look to God first. Look at what God is doing in this situation. Allow the truth of God to shape what you see, to help you to see. He tells Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. Now, what Joshua is seeing is a 30-foot wall. But God says, look how I see it. If you focus only what's before you, you're going to think there's no way. But God says, look through the eyes of faith. See, there's two ways of seeing things, the natural way, the way everybody sees it, with your natural eyes, and then to see things through eyes of faith. You can look at things the way the world does, or you can look at things as a child of the Most High God. God challenges Joshua, let the Word of God trump what you see. Wasn't that the line in that song we just read? I will rely on your Word. See, I have given Jericho into your hand. God is challenging Joshua. Now, let's get this. To see things from God's perspective. That's faith. And we have that kind of faith, and that affects everything in life. The way I, I spend my money, the way I spend my time, the way I, I handle my relationships, the way I, I go about my work. 
Faith is seeing the world through the eyes of God. Now, Satan will lie to us and think, well, faith is when you're reading your Bible. Faith is when you're singing at worship. Faith is when you're praying. Well, that's true, but faith is also 24-7. Faith is every day. Faith is in everything. Faith is how I see everything. Faith has taken God at his word. Too often, instead of eyes of faith, we see the wall. And we think it's huge. We think there's no way. There's no way I can conquer that. And God told Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. But if you don't see the walls from God's perspective, remember God even said, and they're going to crumble. He told them how it's going to happen. But if you don't see it from God's perspective, you're going to empower those walls in your life. And it's going to have a greater effect on you than God's word will. They hold you back. Let me give you an everyday example of how this, this plays out. There is a tendency, the Bible talks about a besetting sin. And, and for all of us, there may be one thing that maybe is that besetting sin for you, or maybe it's a struggle. Some of you know this personally, or maybe you've got someone close to you that, that really struggles with this, has those tendencies. And when that person struggles with the sin, and it could be uh, a sexual desire, it could be an addiction, it could be a compulsion, it could be any number of things. And we think Satan's walls are so high, there's no way I can overcome this. We even fall into the way of thinking, well, if this is so much a part of me, and God made me, then God made me this way, and if God made me this way, then this has got to be okay. Because God doesn't make mistakes. Have you heard that? Even thought that? Even when Scripture specifically speaks against it? Mark it down. What happens is that we're believing the lies of the enemy more than we're believing the Word of God. That's what it boils down to. We empower the devil by believing him and the lie and that wall being unscalable. Let me challenge you. Don't justify sin and blame it on God when His Word speaks against it. Don't lower God's standard of truth down to your level of experience. We need to all understand something about the spiritual life. So much of your walk with God, your spiritual life, is related to do exactly what God is asking Joshua to do right here in chapter 6, verse 2. See, I. Look from God's perspective. Don't look like the world looks. You look at it from my perspective. I am giving you Jericho. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember, that was part of the promise of be strong and courageous. I am with you. That's what we're talking about here. To see things the way God sees them. And then you act according to your instructions. There's a story from the Civil War when President Lincoln made George McClellan commander of the Union Army. He woke up the next morning and he said this to his wife, I don't feel any different than I did yesterday. In fact, I'm wearing the exact same uniform, but I know I am in charge of the Army because I have the standing order in front of me. I don't feel like it's what he was saying, but I know it's true. I've got the orders right here in front of me. That's what we're talking about. Sometimes the wall looks enormous. Some days it's insurmountable. Some days you don't feel ready to stand against the walls of the enemy. 
Yet you've got the uniform on. You have the righteousness of Jesus. You're on His side. He is, you are His. He's made you His own. And you've got the standing order. You've got the Word of God telling you what is true. So then you've got a decision to make. Am I going to do what He says is true? The key is choosing to see, to believe what God says about me and my walls more than what I see with my natural eyes or what I may be feeling in my heart. And that brings me to the last point. The road to the abundant life goes through the high country. Joshua knew the way to take the promised land was to create this wedge, take over that land, and and to go from the high country. And we get this. I mean, you you see this in military strategies even today. From the higher elevation, you could see better the whole lay of the land. You could see the enemy approaching. You'd want to be as high as you could so you could know, you could see what's going on. So here's the all-important question of application. When it comes to you and me moving to deeper faith, when it comes to moving toward possession, what God wants to give, what's the high country? It's right here. It's what you think. It's your mind. It's what you believe to be true. The only way to victory is to transform your thinking. That's what God was challenging Joshua, to see it from his perspective, to think differently. Think beyond what he sees with his natural eyes. Look at Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul wrote about this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be, and here it is, transformed by the renewal of your mind. We need to think about how much our following Jesus is this renewal of the mind. What are we feeding on? What do I know to be true? What am I holding to be true? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. Let me share another passage. And this may be one of those, you might want to mark it down, Ephesians chapter 4, and go back and read it because there's quite a tr- contrast going on here. And it's all, all about how you think. I, w- I want to walk through this. I want to see this. Look at verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So obviously he's going to talk about their actions being wrong, but that's not what he's addressing here. He's talking about their thinking being wrong. And the futility of their thinking. Futile just means useless, ineffective. Well, well, it would be useless as far, far as following Christ, but that does not mean that futile thinking will not wreak havoc on your life. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God The life of God, that's what we've been talking about, right? The abundant life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So what does that cause? Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. So he starts talking about these actions that are wrong, but it all stems from the wrong thinking. So the problem with the Gentiles is not so much their wrong actions, although they are wrong, they're horribly wrong. What he's saying, though, it starts with the futile thinking, the wrong thinking. 
Verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So you contrast that futile thinking to the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off their old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And then verse 23, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So don't live like the world in this futile thinking. You be made new in the attitude of your minds. The road to transformation, to abundant living that Jesus promised runs through the high country. Get your thinking right. Believe what God says is true. Because if you don't get your thinking right, you're never going to have success fighting the enemy. One of the most neglected principles of Scripture today, in my opinion, is the understanding of repentance. I don't think we talk about it enough for one, and I'm not sure we fully understand it. Now, we know repent means to change, change your ways, turn back. Well, we know that. There's, a, there's another uh, definition that you really get just by understanding the word that is translated in our language, repentance. I put it on the screen. Metaneo, that's the Greek word. You don't need to know Greek, but know this. The first part, meta, means changed after being with. And then the second part means to think differently after. So after you've been with Jesus, then you're going to think differently. Now, does it not mean change of behavior? Absolutely. But it starts with a change of thinking. And if you just think of repentance as a change of behavior, well, you can change your behavior, but you know what happens? You're going to change right back. Because you've not changed your thinking. That's what true repentance means. The key part begins with changing your mind. And no change of behavior will ever stick. You're not going to be consistent until you change, as Paul said, the attitude of your mind, the way you think, what you believe, what you hold to be true. Was that not Naaman's problem? Remember Naaman who had leprosy? You might want to go back and read it in 2 Kings chapter 5. Without a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of thinking, you're questioning just like Naaman, what do I have to do this? Remember he was told to dip in the Jordan seven times? Now he was a commander of an army, and to him that seems silly. Why would that be the effect? He even said, why does your prophet come out and, and, and speak to God and wave his hands? That's what Naaman was expecting, and it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? That's what you would do. Instead, he said, go dip in the river Jordan seven times. Well, then he even talks about well, where I come from. The rivers are much better than the Jordan. I've not been to either, but I take his word for it. It's probably true. But that's not the point. What's the point? God said, God's word was dip in the river, river seven times. But if you've got the mindset of Naaman, you know what that means? You're going to dip once going, still here. You're going to dip twice, still here. Not until you do exactly what God says. The leprosy was not moved until he dipped seven times. I want you to get this. Ultimately, it just boils down to this, folks. Ultimately, life in the kingdom, 
Life in the kingdom is being convinced in your mind that God is right. This is what we're talking about. You've got to be convinced that God is right. And if God tells you to dip seven times in the Jordan, you're going to dip seven times in the Jordan. Why? Because it makes sense to you? Why? Because it's the best river? Why? Because it's a proven what? No! Why? Because God's way is right. You will not persist in trusting God in true obedience from the heart until you have eyes of faith and you see God working and you take Him at His word. And that's why Satan does everything he can to keep you focused on that wall. And he challenges your thinking again and again. Or he distracts us from focusing on God, on higher things. We become obsessed on on these lower level things like like money and success and power and image and and getting ahead and just staying afloat and all the things that we do. But understand, all those are also fed by the streams that come from the higher ground. Your thinking. And if the thinking's wrong, then all these other things are going to be messed up. That's why the war, that's why the war is really all about your mind. It's all about your heart. And it's so easy to miss this. But you can bet Satan doesn't miss it. He knows. If he can mess with your thinking, if he can put that wall up that there's no way you can cross on your own, he knows he's got you. I read a prayer. It's rather blunt, but it's simple, and I think it makes the point. Lord, kill me so you can fill me. Transform me from the inside out. I put one more verse on your outline. It's on the screen as well. Proverbs 23, 7. You may know this one by heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Is that not what Joshua 6 is talking about? What do you think? What do you believe? What do you know to be true? What do you know to be true about you? Do you believe that you can be strong and courageous because God is with you? Do you live every day that way? See, here's the truth in Joshua chapter 6. As you learn to take the high road, you're going to be made new in the attitude of your mind. And that's going to change how you see things. You learn to view things through God's lenses. And then you understand those walls are nothing to your almighty God. Nothing. He can make them crumble down. So when he commands you to be baptized, you don't say, do I really have to? Do I have to go all the way under? You say, absolutely. And you live every day knowing that he's right there with you. And you take God at his word. Even if Satan is putting obstacles up that's making you feel so insecure and you're you're doubting again and again. No! You believe what God says is true. You are His. Today, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, we always have the water ready for you to be baptized. Or if we can pray for you that you can live life the way God wants to be lived, fully believing Him. If we can pray for you in any way, why don't you come as we stand and sing to encourage you.
The Lord lift his countenance upon.